Hey guys, welcome back to the OPD podcast. We are back. If this is your first time listening to this, because it's been quite a while, we got the both hosts here today, myself, Joe Jeffrey, and the man himself, Austin Stout. We've been doing this for years, but we've had a bit of hiatus over the latter part of the, the show season, but now things have calmed down. We're hoping to get back to some regularity, and we're kicking this one off with Q&A. I imagine most of the people that were subscribed are going to still be subscribed and it will just pop up out of nowhere on their podcast app or Spotify. They'll think, ah, yes, finally. Yes. But but we both, but we both probably, uh, we both probably have some new followers on our social medias and stuff that will see it. Definitely. You know, that, that probably haven't before. So that'll be good. Awesome. How have you been? Uh, I've been good, man. I am uh, feel like I'm recovered now, just about recovered from the the show season. It, it got a bit, um, it got a bit manic at the end. I think, um, you know, since March, it was pretty much. I think there was three weekends that I was at home between March and the last show that I did, which was the end of November. And um, by by that last show, the, the last one was the Masters Pro Qualifier in, Bala- in Milan, the Euro Masters. I've got a cool story, actually, that I can tell the listeners about that one. Um, it was quite funny. Um, but I think by the end of that one, like, I got back and I, I was, like, really struggling. Like, really struggling. Because, you know, you're home. Like, normally, I'm flying home either Sunday night, Monday morning. Then I'm flying out to the next place Thursday morning. So really, you've only got Tuesday, Wednesday at home. And then you're in a different time zone and you're sorting your food out. And, you know, it's, the travel was killing me in general. So I think think I've, I've discovered where the maximum amount of shows is that I can personally <laughs> handle in a year. I hit my maximum recoverable show limit. <laughs> yes, What's the story? Were you wandering around the streets delirious? I don't know where you were at. Okay, here's the story. So I got to Milan and the Euromasters were so busy at the host hotel. So it's at the Crown Plaza and it's the show's in the Crown Plaza itself. So everyone's staying at the Crown Plaza. I I queued up for two hours just to check into my room. So uh, I get checked into my room. I check in um, Big Daddy Kirkham and Matt Adams and Tony House. They were my three clients that were competing that weekend. I checked them all in. Everybody's good to go. So I got back into my room. I was absolutely knackered. So, you know, I've left the house at like five in the morning or something. And now this is near 11 p.m. or something. And I really struggle. You're probably the same. I really struggle to sleep away from home. Different environment, different temperature, different pillow, blah, blah, blah. So I kind of eventually get to sleep. And then I hear this knocking on the door. All right. And I, th- and I sort of look up and I think, was I dreaming that? Surely I'm no who would be knocking on my hotel room door? I thought, nah, fuck it, I'll go back to sleep. And then again, knock, 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 but an aggressive knock, you know, like doom, doom, doom. The fuck? So I sort of got out right. and creep towards the door. I was like, who's that? No answer, right? Bang, bang, bang on the door. I was thinking, fuck, this person wants violence because this is not right. I think I must have got the wrong room. I'm like, who is it? Have you got the right room? I'm going, hello. And then again, bang, bang, bang. So I'm like, fuck, man. And I'm trying to look through the little peephole thing. Oh, it's blacked out. How, how is it blacked out? Well, I'm thinking, this person's got their hand over the peephole. 
So they don't want me to see who it is. Thinking, oh, hopefully I'm going to open the door and not just get my head caved in. All right. So I literally said, oh, fuck this. And open the door. And it's Jazz standing there. She'd come out to surprise me, basically. I was like, fuck, you know. She was like, she filmed it all on her phone. You literally hear me go, oh, fuck this. And like throw open the door. Because I was, you know, I'm ready. You know? Um, and uh, yeah, it was Jazz standing there. She'd come to surprise me, bless her. And she was like, are you happy? I was like, I am happy, but I'm, I feel like I'm about to have a seizure. You know, you right. know when you've just like woken up from a deep sleep and you're all delirious and there's someone's banging on your door like fucking hell. It was, <laughs> and then I couldn't get sleep for the rest of the night, mate. I just laid there. So yeah, I was, done. You know, when you're like so sympath, my heart rate, mate, it must have been 160. Oh, fuck. So that didn't help things. Obviously, it was nice having her there, but fucking hell. So I missed a night of sleep on the first night. That's funny. Yeah, you were you felt like you just trained legs for two hours before you laid down in bed. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I unfortunately don't have any stories that good. I've so got, I've got uh, one more funny story that I'll briefly tell because it's literally just happened. So I just got a bit of post through the door, right? So I went to see my I'm trying not to this is turning into like an episode of Joe Rogan, but this is quite funny. Listeners will appreciate this. I went to uh, a new ophthalmologist the other day. So I've got a, a neuro-ophthalmological, however you pronounce it, issue. So this issue that I have in my eyes since I was like early teens, it's called polynopsia, where when you're tired or stressed or whatever, you get quite bad like traces, you know, like light traces or juddering of things that are moving and whatnot. Um, and, I, and I went to see a new neuro-ophthalmologist. And um, whilst I was there, it was like... Um, old bloke he goes do you do you take steroids said no no because you know what's going to happen then oh yep that's your problem D despite me having it since i was like 13 no that, that's your problem so i thought i said no, no no he said okay did all the tests and whatnot and i've just got this letter through the door right i'm going to read it out verbatim diagnosis anabolic steroid toxicity and then in brackets patient denies this <laughs> what I know. How can they? How can they even do that? That doesn't even seem. This seems illegal. Yeah. They're right. in my private healthcare. I'm paying him. I've paid him for this. And then further down here, right. um, I did note that he has fairly developed musculature. Thank you. Um, he denies taking anabolics. <laughs> and then on the next, which we've got in the literature, there is an American paper talking about a form of nystagmus associated with the use of anabolic steroids. The same paper out, uh, the same paper pointed out that if the systems persist, I think you mean symptoms, more than a year, they will go on to be permanent. Um, well, thanks, mate. I can't believe I paid for this trash. Um, but yeah, <laughs> what an odd thing to do. Yeah, that is bizarre. That seems medically unethical for sure. If At least, was, I mean, I don't know how. Yeah, I don't. If it was the NHS, I wouldn't mind. But the fact that I've paid, I've paid him to do all these tests and then send me a letter saying, "Gears fucked your eyes up." <laughs> yeah, he's probably yeah. some really obscure case study on one person that had the same issue. Right. I mean, I don't even have. He's written nystagmus here, and I don't even have nystagmus. I've been tested for that loads of times. So, 
Um, it's not that. Well, and there can't be there can't be a large enough population sample to even do that between anabolic users and this specific issue. Like, how would they, you know what I mean? Like, how would they even pull enough people to do a legitimate study on that? So, it's a, it's a good yeah. lie, what it is, but it, it wasn't worth the money. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, my gym is moving next month. Finally. So, so catch me up. Have you moved? Yeah. In the same place now. Yeah. So I moved last year. I moved. Uh, probably about a year is maybe a year and a half close to that. And then the property that I was at before was I was renting that from my, my dad because he has rentals. So he's essentially been in the process of getting that house ready to sell. Um, so he's like, you know what, just leave all your stuff over here until we go to sell it. And then you can get it moved because my building at my new house wasn't done yet. So I had to get, I had to get that finished, um, which it is, it's finished now. So uh, other than like a little bit of paint, but everything else is finished. Uh, so I'll have a company going to come out and move everything for me next month, but that'll be good to have that out of the way, but I'm going to miss the old place. Yeah. I'm guessing it's uh, tough. The new it's, it's still going to be the barn gym, isn't it? Yeah, oh yeah. Yep. It'll still be a barn. I mean, it'll still be like a similar style, you know, similar style building. It's just, it's hard to replicate the other, the, the old barn with the like broken boarded up windows and, you know, shit like that. That's can't really do much, but we'll make it home. We'll figure it out. How are you moving all the kids? I actually hire some guys to take it over there and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a company. There's a company out of Columbus that that's uh, furnishes gyms and moves gyms and sells equipment and all that stuff. So they're going to move everything and and I'll provide them with a sample layout so they can lay everything out. And then, you know, pretty much done, just like a one and done type thing. So I'm not messing with it. I moved it once already. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> So I won't have to worry about it. I can't imagine having to move my gym stuff now. I mean, when I think of the the days that it took me to get it all in there. Fuck. Yeah. I just can't. No. Yeah. I would I'm, never get it done. I don't I don't even have time. I'd have to do something like you're doing. Like I'd have to pay someone and say, I don't want to even look at this. You just yeah. put put it in the new location and tell me when it's done. Yep. Yep, that's and that's all I'm going to do. So, um, I did think about possibly getting because all the walls in there are just gray, gray paint. It's just like a flat gray color all the way around, and it's all newly painted on the inside. I thought about having someone come out and professionally graffiti all the walls. Yeah, very cool, man. Very cool. That would be a cool idea. We could do something cool with that. I think so. I'm going to look into it. Maybe like a like a younger someone that's young like a local artist that's trying to get some work you know yeah let them come out and because i don't care if it's perfect it's not meant to be perfect so this is just a I, thought but i said this to jazz about the gym a lot of times like when it's a bit dirty i'm like just leave it i quite like this a bit, a bit dirty in it 
you know or yeah we've got we've got one because we've got mirrors all around the uh the edge and tom evans broke one of them where like the so you gotta leave the broken one yeah because it looked it, you know when it's like he pushed the side of the seated ham in it so it's quite like a localized crack almost like a spider web crack i'm like no just leave that it looks cool yeah 100 percent. it's just character it just adds character but that's funny uh yeah so let's uh let's get into those questions um I have some pulled up here. First couple are pretty easy. This first question asks about uh, our the utility of clenbuterol for fat loss and if we prefer to use it or not. Uh, so there's you know there's a couple there's a few things in my mind that are worth considering that probably make this a less than desirable fat loss agent. It has some utility, but I think it's kind of overly glorified for one. It doesn't raise BMR all that much, but really no fat loss agents do other than maybe DNP. Right. Mm -hmm. Two half-life's really long. I think that's a big negative. Mm -hmm. So you know, with the half-life being so long, once you get up to a certain dose clearance, there's going to be quite a bit left in the system interrupting circadian rhythms. So if in that, so that's probably the biggest downside that I've noticed. And three, of course, it's, it's going to have some tax, you know, it's going to tax the nervous system to an extent. So there are cases where it could be maybe pulled out at the end of prep, perhaps. I know we've talked about that before or use sparingly or at lower doses. I just don't really see a scenario where we're just going to be running like the traditional 120 micrograms of clen all the way through prep type of thing. Mm. Uh, I just, I just don't really think that's as beneficial as most people make it out to be. So if I'm using it 40, maybe 60, 60 micrograms, is kind of where I top out. I start noticing once we start to get into the 80 to a hundred range, that sleep starts to suffer for most people. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, firstly, for anybody interested in clenbuterol, I've written an ebook on clenbuterol. Um, and it contains, awesome. it contains absolutely everything you could ever want or need to know about clenbuterol, but it's presented in a, in a very um, easy to understand manner, which is generally what we do at Physique Collective. I cover the mechanism of action, the history, um, the effects, obviously, the pharmacokinetics, the downregulation, desensitization issue, the side effects. I've got a section on practical recommendations. It's 20 plus pages long um, with many references. In fact, I've got, I've, I could put up how many references? 34 references on there. Um, so you mentioned about the the BMR increase. I could actually get the numbers from. from yeah, BMR. what is the number? I'd be curious. Yes. Yeah, so there's that. You know that single study in humans, um, eighty micrograms of clenbuterol single dosing because it's got a a long half life. So average half life comes out to around thirty six hours, if I remember correctly. So there would be a bit of accumulation yeah. levels over maybe three days or so. Um, but on a right. single, single day metric, using eighty micrograms. Bearing in mind, there's no evidence of desensitization. In fact, there's some evidence to the contrary, which I go through in the ebook. By the way, guys, 
physiquecollective.com for the ebook. And it's only $19.99. I purposely made it super cheap. Um, not <laughs> that sounds like I'm trying to like help people out. Really, I was trying to go for volume. Um, so <laughs> and it worked. Yeah. <laughs> um, so 80 microgram of clenbuterol increased resting energy expenditure by 21% and fat oxidation by 39%. So quite a robust shift, um, to be fair. Um, yeah. It's got some positive influences on glucose disposal, which was interesting literature to dig through because one of the kind of rhetorics that you hear in the bodybuilding world is that um, clenbuterol can mess with insulin sensitivity or glucose tolerance, carbohydrate intake and stuff like that. The evidence points to the contrary there. Um, there's some positives on strength outcomes. but Who was that study from? This study. Do you here, know uh, uh, the glucose one? Because I feel like I've seen that before or maybe we talked about it. I've got a few references in there. Um, do you want the references or some of the kind of points covered? Yeah, because it might have been we had maybe talked about it because I've seen I've seen that anecdotally too, improve in actual improvements in glucose tolerance and insulin sensitivity from it. Yeah. So let me, um, let me find. So just more curiosity. So it may one, be for the listeners. The one study I've referenced here, it's not on clenbuterol, it's on terbutaline, which is a selective beta 2 agonist. Of course, they, they share relative effects of one another, same mechanism of action. That increased insulin-stimulated whole-body glucose disposal, which was associated with an increase in lean mass. Um, glucose infusion rate was measured using a hyperinsulinemic slash euglycemic clamp, um, blah, blah, blah. Glucose infusion rate was improved by 27% after the four-week treatment period. Pretty significant. Yeah, so, and I've got a graph that I've put in there about glucose metabolism and lipid metabolism and how beta-2 adrenergic stimulation activates various metabolic pathways. So specifically in skeletal muscle tissue, this seems to be, which overall leads to an increase in glucose uptake and utilization of glucose in skeletal muscle. Um, yeah, some positives for hypertrophy in there as well. The power output stuff's interesting. I've got a long section on down regulation and desensitization, um, which is worth covering. <laughs> a very long way of saying don't worry about it, but I did cover it pretty comprehensively in there yeah. with references. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I don't know if I've got away from the original question yet, but it's um, it's a potent fat loss tool but there are negatives primarily as austin mentioned the sympathetic drive is an issue that does seem to decrease with desensitization to the adrenergic effects itself like the catecholamine um mm -hmm. there is desensitization there but not removal and when you become very sensitive right. to those things at the end of a prep like you say a 36 hour half-life with a drug that's pretty stimulatory is um can be problematic for sure but yeah, I think a lot of people, well. a lot of people mistake, they mistake not feeling it physiologically with desensitization, which isn't, which isn't the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it's not the, the actual mechanism of action is still there because there, it's just like anything, right? I mean, you don't feel caffeine at some point stimulate. And there's two, there's really like two prongs to that, right? There's, there's not feeling it physiologically and then there's also perception of that feeling you know yes, because you're getting used to something 
The one one thing that's interesting is um so one characterization of heart failure is sympathetic activation um and a general increase in blood catecholamine levels and that increase in sympathetic tone is driven by beta adrenergic signaling like what we would get with clenbuterol increasing right. cardiac contraction and relaxation and long-term overstimulation of beta adrenergic receptors in the heart leads to desensitization and down regulation of these receptors and, and that correlates to the severity of heart failure so there is desensitization and or downregulation of these receptors. But specific to cardiac tissue in overstimulation that leads to heart failure, it doesn't, it doesn't appear to occur in adipocytes or skeletal muscle via right. prolonged use of a beta-2 agonist. Um, for example, one study on horses... They, they're using astronomical doses of Clem. I, I think it was two and a half micrograms per kilogram twice a day. Um, and there was, um, it was interesting because, so these astronomical doses, and I believe the outcome was they lost a lot of fat mass during the first two weeks of the study, but it was either six or eight weeks long. Um, and that made me think, hmm, maybe this is where, bodybuilding practice of you know cycling every two weeks because those results would indicate receptor down regulation after that two week period and there's other there's other studies uh, and these are in the ebook that that correlate with a two-week period with chronic clenbuterol administration um uh, one thing to think is that clenbuterol has been shown to decrease beta adrenergic receptor density but training increases beta adrenergic receptors. So it might right. be that concurrently training alongside clenbuterol use is sufficient to maintain beta adrenergic receptor density to allow you to continue to lose body fat. And also there's the case of ephedrine. You know, um, there is, there's a study on ephedrine in women given 20 milligram see the two or three times a day, 12 weeks. And not only did desensitization not occur, but the study showed that it worked better as time went on. And that's a, that's a beta adrenergic agonist. It's also an alpha adrenergic agonist. It's both. Um, so yeah, neither the data nor the anecdotes suggest that this is something that we need to need to concern ourselves with. I mean, if you're, yeah, and that's, if you're driving adrenergic signaling to the point of heart failure, yeah, you know, there's there's going to be some, there's likely to be some downregulation or desensitization. But I mean, look at these doses. We're miles off that. And and I think and it's it's so multifactorial too. I mean, you because some of that you see some of that in shortened short and long-term use with caffeine as well so like i was this isn't related to desensitization but i was talking to someone about insulin sensitivity in caffeine use because acutely there's a there's a ton of research that acutely shows that it decreases that it decreases insulin sensitivity right mm -hmm. because it 
Well, because it acutely raises blood glucose. So it's not so more so I should say that it acutely raises glucose, not necessarily desensitizes you. But long term, there are actually studies showing increase protection from type 2 diabetes. Mm. Via, right. So, so you have to wonder, you have to wonder if a lot of this has to do with some epigenetic adaptions that happen within the body from long-term use of some of these molecules, you know, some of these chemicals, right? Um, some of these mechanisms essentially adapting to what your, your inputs and, and so you're creating your own epigenetic adaption internally over the course of whatever, whatever amount of time. Um, but, but also in that same vein, no one should be using clenbuterol uh, outside of certain, like short term windows. Anyhow, yeah. it's not like an all year. It's not like a prophylactic drug that you're going to be probably using all year long, nonstop. Yeah, so just, I've been going through a lot of the research on um, desensitization. So my latest uh, hypermanic research obsession has been um dopamine serotonin gaba glutamate so kind of mm -hmm. ooh, yeah i love that that's uh that's in my wheelhouse yeah. i'm uh i've been i've been so you might be interested in this you might already know you're probably further ahead than me so i've been going through some of the uh some of the translated russian research on research chemicals like nine methyl beta carboline um mm -hmm. and the ability for it to resensitize and even be neurogenic to dopamine receptors and this also seems to be a maoi as well that's an interesting molecule for sure but yeah i've just been going through a lot of the the neurochemistry stuff i've been playing with nootropics in general um have you found anything to be particularly useful or or should i say noticeable okay so let me think what i've tried um so I've used 9-MEBC in combination with sublingual bromantane. Um, I would say about five to seven days using 9-MEBC, I felt a shift in baseline dopamine that was quite apparent. Um, outside of what could just be driven by placebo, little things like verbal fluency moved up quite substantially. Um, like on my check-ins, my ability to find... Mm -hmm communicate that went up notably but also my sensitivity to dopaminergic inputs like for example my vape like i was getting a significant dopamine hit off of something that obviously drives dopamine but previously i was relatively desensitized to it and as that as that 9-MEBC seemed to have a pretty robust effect on dopaminergic response i noticed using that sublingual bromantane really started to to kick you know, that heavy dopamine drive, but not stimulatory. That was... Mm -hmm. the right. Very kind of uh, euphoric. Mm. Yeah, so so that those two definitely worked on the dopamine side of things. Um, in terms of serotonin inputs, I've used rhodiola. Didn't really notice anything from that. Um, I tried out some HT2A antagonists. Um, to see if that had an effect on general anxiety, like 
mega dosing um, inositol. Um, Kratom, or as the, the Americans call them, Kratom. I don't particularly like that. Um, yeah, I think that's a slip. I wouldn't. I'm yeah. very hesitant to recommend that to people. <laughs> Anything with opioid action, I, I would. Although it, it seems to be a relatively weak MU opioid agonist, but you know, you can go on Reddit for five minutes and see people that are using like 40 grams a day and can't get off it. Uh-huh. They just go for a lot of stuff. Like another example would be like a, a heavy GABA agonist, like Fenibut or gabapentin or something like that. So I've played around with Fenibert and that has a pretty robust shift on general anxiety. But again, that can be a really slippery slope. There's a lot of people that run into issues with Fenibert. If you apply yourself to all of like once a week, one to two grams dosing, you're going to be okay. And you'll probably notice some pretty robust positives from it. If you're an individual like me, this pretty like high drive, high sympathetic tone, high anxiety person. Um, but you can definitely go down some roads of it, that's for sure. What else have I tried? Uh, not really a nootropic, but teacrine. I like sort of replacing some morning caffeine use with with teacrine. Um, uh, less less habitual based on the research, but yeah, for sure. I don't know. Yeah, well, like 100 milligram tear cream with 50 milligram caffeine, I find a more sustained energy release without the anxiety driving input. Um, mm-hmm. I'll tell you what is good works really well for me, Fasoracetam. Um, I haven't really used any of the other racetams like phenylparacetam or paracetam and things like that, but the, the, the Fasoracetam, specifically for its GABA agonist, potential and it being GABAergic and also GABAtrophic would the word be um uh-huh. like, so this has been used to resensitize GABA receptors for example in some of the literature I'm, I may point out here that these are all research chemicals and they're definitely not approved for human use so nobody do this um but yeah the, so 30 milligrams sublingual fasoracetam for me combined with teacrine in the morning somebody like me that's very edgy anxious high drive but then sometimes because of that messy with my work um that combination provides a very um calm flow state focus that's very notable shift in headspace so i do like there's So there's a couple, a couple little things to point out there. I think are super important is, and this is where I've really dug into a lot of the neurochemistry is that just, you know, a great takeaway is like just simply driving gabaminergic activity or dopaminergic will elicit acute effect, except the fact that most of these pathways tend to desensitize at some point. And that's why like, for example, I was having a discussion about acetylcholine the other day and supplementation, and a lot, I find a lot of people have more, um, more benefit or using something like an acetylcholine transferase inhibitor, mm. right? Because, right, versus just inputting acetylcholine or CDP or acetylcholine or like whatever, right? Um, because you're you're essentially and we can think about how think about how most psych medications work a lot of them what's an ssri 
selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, right? That's yeah. so along those same lines is like you're altering metabolism and essentially making something last longer and work better versus just inputting more of something. Yes. Um, so there's a lot of, I think there's, <clears throat> there's a lot of, uh, opportunity in those types of whether it's drugs or even supplementation. I've seen a few kind of over the counter nootropic type supplements starting to implement some of that stuff, especially with dopamine and acetylcholine and stuff. And I think there's some, like a dopamine reuptake inhibitor. Or right, yep, exactly, or something like that. Yep. Yeah. So there's probably something there uh, that's that's going to be more beneficial than simply, you know, than like a Hooperzine A in combination with and a choline source that would give you a lot greater benefit. Mm. Oh, we need to have some more chats about this, man, because I'm starting to. I'm a novice compared to you, but I'm doing my best to, to keep up. But we will have to do a we'll have to do one on it. Anyhow, uh do you have any you want to go hit a couple of those questions before we while we have time? <laughs> yeah, into a neurochemistry episode. I will say though, I am um, we'll definitely talk about that choline because I've used alpha GPC and CDP choline, but I've never tried like a choline inhibitor. Tell you what else I'll yeah, do. throw some throw some Hooperzine A in there with it. Maybe even just a hundred micrograms and see if you notice a difference. With it at the same time. Yeah, you can. I mean, I, I think you'd be fine. Try it for science. My brain has, has had a bit. So another thing that I tried was <laughs> microdose, microdose in psilocybin. Um, somewhere between 100 and 300 milligram, depending on the strain. I've got the old penis envy at the minute, which is a very strong. Um, I actually took two grams of that last Saturday, and that was I probably wouldn't do that. Um <laughs> I was doing the the four on three off, you know, the um Stamets protocol. Um yep. that's certainly works. And and I've been <laughs> been doing some combinations. Like for example, the odd day, once every few weeks, I might do a psilocybin microdose with a hundred milligrams of modafinil or something like that. And that's a, it's a it's a completely different thing. It it really changes I think you know, primary action HT2A agonist um if you get the dosing just right because if you go too high you feel tired and lethargic get the dosing just yeah. right in combination with like a tear green um is nice or a great combo god nobody do this but a great combo is 100 milligram of modafinil with 40 milligrams of propanolol because i get all the mental focus that i need this so i've wrote my your himbean ebook and i basically wrote it all in a day about 16 hours straight, but no, no sympathetic dry from the modafinil at all with the propanol on there. It's bizarre. Um, mm -hmm. Interesting. Anyhow, well, um, well, I've just answered the first question. The first one is from the legendary John Thackeray. Happy birthday, John, by the way. Um, what's the next research rat hole you plan to jump into? Well, we've just answered that. There you go. <laughs> Podcast uh, coming soon. Yeah, oh yeah, I'll have to do a few more, <laughs> few more dives. Check out that old Russian research, man. There's a lot on bromantane and nine MEBC, and there's it's very interesting. Um, okay, I'll, I will do a proper question. 
any upgrades to the doghouse and barn gym lately or stuff the mm. gym? Uh, do you want me to cover mm. this first? Yeah, I have a, well, they kind of know my update, but I have some potential equipment updates coming in the near future, but we'll see. I think that's what I think that's what he's asking upgrades. So I think he's talking about. Uh -huh. Um. So I always peruse Gumtree and eBay and stuff, and I'll see kit come up sometimes and go. Mm, but and then I think about it and think, you know what? I'm I don't need anything else in my training. I'm perfectly happy with my exercise selection. I've got a good bit of space in there. I don't. I don't there's nothing that I require. And it would just be a faff buying it and getting it in there. So I think, there's, I think, what what would I even buy? You know, what you know, what there's nothing that I need. So probably not. Yeah, I don't. I don't really need much. I think that I think that I would be interested in getting some type of converging chest press. Um, that's kind of that's probably the first thing that I would get if I'm going to get something and I've, I've looked at a couple different ones. Um, so I used to have one, but I sold it. Um, I used to have the mm -hmm. Eagle. That's a beautiful conversion press. I like the it. Eagle. Yeah. I'd looked at that one. Dual axes. It's, it's a very light stack. Um, it's a bit unstable. If you converge fully, it's what I didn't like about it. Everyone else loved it. The trains and the dog house though. My favorite is the Nautilus, either the nitro or explode line. Now, I'd probably get one of those. And, and if I was going to get any bit of kit, it would be that one. But the thing is, between my cables and my dumbbells, I'm coming out of every push session with my chest sore as shit for like three days. I think, I'm, yeah, you know, do I need that? Yeah, I, I, I'm in the same I'm in the same boat because I mean, you know what I might do is I might get some bigger dumbbells. I, I don't know. I've, I've thought about it. I've thought about just getting, you know, it's price. I'm not overly concerned about price, but also at the same time, I'm like, do I really want to pay, you know, a thousand dollars for like a <laughs> pair of dumbbells? And the thing is, so, as well, eh. what we know about maximizing hypertrophy using the length and range now is like the, the efficacy of a converging chest press just went down a hell of a lot. And the efficacy of dumbbells just went up a hell of a lot. So, right. I just do length and partials, dumbbell presses, and then bodies, and I'm cooked. Yeah, I've been. So one thing I've been doing a little bit because I'm I'm kind of towards the end of this deficit phase. So I I backed my my volume off just a little bit, but I've been messing with some different exercises. Um, one that I was actually doing the other day at the end of the sessions was I was doing like a, so, you know, a floor press, right? You know, on the floor, mm -hmm. you touch elbows. It's only going to give you partial range of motion, but I was doing exercises for, I was doing like some lengthened partials at the end of the dumbbell work. And then I was doing a dumbbell floor press where I was pretty much couldn't get out of, I couldn't get out of the length of position anymore because I was fatigued. So I was doing a basically like a dumbbell floor press with my elbows touching the floor into the shortened position, well, right? I've, Just I've that got, like top half. I've got a superset for you to try, right? I, I, I ran this on a mezzo previously and this will blast you. Um, 
So length and partials, dumbbell presses. You put the dumbbells down on the floor and then do decline body weight press-ups. So because uh, the floor, you can use the handles, obviously, to get into yeah. the length and position and then do body weight press-ups with those. So you're still nailing that length and range, of course, with just less load. Woof. That's yeah. a coolness creator, that one. But uh, I've done – so one that I implemented the other day, because what I'm doing now, because I'm at the end of this phase and I'm, I'm just essentially kind of maintaining strength-wise, is I'm, I'm messing around with these exercises to set up the next mesocycle, right, yeah, when I'm I done. Yeah, and, I love doing that. Um, so I was I even implemented at the end the old remember the old ladder push-ups with the camber bar where you could do you could set it in the power rack and then you start in the lowest position and ah, you yes. slowly raise your bar. Yeah. So there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot there. There's just so much chest is because there's only so much you can do with with like your chest and your you know delts, for example. Yeah. How much equipment do you really need? How many ways do we need to load driving the humerus across the body? Right. I, just, I don't know. So I don't know that I'll. I don't know that I'll get that. I've considered it. If I can, if I find a deal that I like, I might do that. Um, I really don't need any leg equipment, to be honest. I have a pendulum squat. I've got a belt squat. I've got. You'll see. You know, a leg press. I have a seated ham. Yeah. Hey, what you do? Got space and they're really cheap. Is a Cybex VR one or VR two? They call it a back extension, but it's a hip extension. Mm -hmm. Have Have you seen it? Have you tried it? Yeah. the The old gym that I used to go to probably ten years ago had all uh, of yeah, that it stuff. Did. They it did. Was, was it G Force? Was it G Force? I remember. No, that was that's the one that I owned. I had one in there, and then. The gym prior to that also had one. They had everything though. They they even had the old four way neck machine <laughs> in that place. Yes. Yeah, like everything. Tibby Alice race. <laughs> I got mine for like two hundred quid on eBay, and best two hundred pound I ever spent because you you seat belted in your legs are locked, so the stability is unbelievable. Like blows the stability of any Good Morning or RDL out of the water. So mm -hmm. your ability to load hip extension, and also get into that nasty length and range of hip flexion while super stable. Nothing comes close to me. One set on that, and your hammies are sore for days. Done. Yeah. I, um, I've i been doing – I even have a reverse hyper, which I've been using a lot. I use it at the end of every lower body section session, but that's also more – it also just really makes my lumbar spine feel good. To be honest, so yeah, I tried one at um, John and Emma Thackeray's actually who asked that first question. I didn't like it. I didn't get on with it. No, do you have a hard time? Do you have a hard time kind of finding a comfortable range of motion in it? It seemed to get heavier through the range. Firstly, which is not what I'm looking for in a resistance profile, um, and it just felt odd. You know, there wasn't a good stimulus. Yeah. You know, everyone's morphology is different. So, sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't really. Eh, there's nothing else. I tell you, I'll tell you what I would like to have, and this is kind of totally different. Is I would love to have a rotary calf machine. 
Oh yes, yeah, yes. I I've been keeping my eyes out. Have you seen the Cybex? I want a rotary cast. <laughs> yeah, the Cybex one where like the axes is by the by the ankle. Yeah. Yes. Yep. That's the one I want. There was a they had one at the gym I was talking about, the old gym. It was white. It was probably like a Gen One, you know, whatever. Cybex rotary calf, and there's nothing. There's no other straight leg type of gastroc exercise that I've felt as good as that. Right. And they're so small. They take up so little real estate. Yeah. And I wonder, I don't even know what they cost. I'm going to have to like, I'm going to start looking. You can lit up some, I, I will hundred percent buy them because I, I do all my calf work on the, my nitro leg press. And I mean, it works, yeah. but it's not optimal. <laughs> yeah. I do almost, I do all mine pretty much the same way a hundred percent. And I, I, the only reason I thought of it's cause I, I had gone to a different gym recently in, in close to the town I live in. Cause I was in town and I hopped on their rotary calf machine. Of course it's a novel stimulus. So it's, I take that into consideration, but my calves were obliterated. Yeah. Yeah. yeah here's one. Nautilus nitro seated rotary calf, $1,600. We 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 wouldn't. It'd be a lot more than that. Yeah, that's for sure. I might have to buy this. <laughs> I would. Yeah, I guess I guess that's what I'm going to add. <laughs> cool. Uh, okay. Yeah, we can cover one of your questions now. So the other one I had was related to first time cycle design for males. So first time cycle, uh, first time user. Uh, so I guess they did just want a brief outline or considerations as to what that might look like, which is going to be pretty simple, I suppose. Um, I think big considerations are exposure time, total exposure, and probably less of a consideration is having to worry about stacking compounds or finding a good A to E ratio because the doses are probably going to be pretty low. I think I think most people have kind of adopted the make the first exposure the as long as possible type of um, type of game plan. For one, for one, expose you know the the dose is low, so total exposure over the course of a of time is going to be less. So you can, you know, you can use more um, or you can use it longer, I, sh I should say. Two effects, you know, effects to your typical blood, like lipid profile, renal function, et cetera, are probably going to be relatively minimal at those dosages. So I, I don't know about you, but really anything, really, if you're probably anywhere from, 15 to 25 percent over normal physiological range that's probably plenty yeah yeah absolutely so i think yeah i, I agree with that absolutely man so th this kind of question is it, it isn't it isn't difficult to cover as a brief synopsis as like a rapid fire question on a podcast so so again i'll, I'll shamelessly plug on physique collective we've got two long form videos on your first cycle slash 
first exposure going through compound choice, prophylactic measures, blood work to get prior, tracking to do during, when and how to accumulate forward kind of things you're looking for, so on and so forth. So it is, it can be a nuanced and intricate topic and should be something that you cover to that degree of depth. But to give a brief synopsis, as Austin said, if, if you escalate your total and free testosterone, you're going to see significant improvements on outcomes driven by additional anabolism at the androgen receptor, right? So there's going to be more muscle protein synthesis and mTOR switching on, so on and so forth. So firstly, probably a good idea to recommend that you get hormonal blood work done first, because if you are, let's say, low physiological range, then just raising yourself up to mid to upper upper physiological range with just a TRT dose will give you some solid runway on outcomes without even having to introduce negative outcomes, deleterious health costs that absolutely present dose response manner when you get into the super physiological range um but then if you are kind of mid to upper physiological range then yeah you're just going sort of the lower end of super physiological if we had to put it into a milligram marker uh you know into individuality is huge somewhere between 200 and 300 milligram per week is going to put most people pretty super physiological um mm-hmm. and then in terms of prophylactic measures something to manage the increase in angiotensin too so you'd want telmosartan on hand ideally a potent antioxidant, an insulin sensitizer like metformin in there also. And they're probably the only two prophylactics you need to be concerned with with the first exposure. And it absolutely should be testosterone only. As Austin mentioned, you don't need a polypharmacy of androgens at, at that dose. And then there's a latter consideration. If and when you do accumulate total androgens up, how you do that and at what point you would introduce the next dose. But that's a separate topic of conversation entirely. Um, yeah, if you need to. Yes. Yeah, well, that, that's, that, yeah. that's the point of, of, on accumulation. Yeah, you, you hold off on that right. for as you possibly can. And then when you do, you you know, it could be as simple as a, an additional 50 milligrams of testosterone and you rinse and repeat that for as long as you can. And then we start mm-hmm. to learn about DHT derivatives or something when you kind of reach that top-end estrogenic contribution. That's probably as simple as I can make it. But like I say, we've got a long-form video on that in great detail for guys that want to check it out. Yeah. 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 And it's, uh, <clears throat> I think that the, probably the, the easiest part of the process is probably deciding the dose you, after you've measured your baseline, that's probably the easiest part. I think where people probably get lost in the weeds a little bit is whether or not they should do any type of titration or if they need any, you know, any type of support built around that in terms of health markers, monitoring blood work, what to look for, because they don't, the downside is you don't really have any baseline. Whereas with the more experienced users, you probably have some type of uh, historical data you can look at. Right. Um, Hopefully not always. I don't know. I I'm sure you get plenty. I mean, I know I get plenty of people that have you have had multiple cycles and have no historical data at all. (laughs) I am, but I did a consult with a guy, not a competitor or anything, just a guy that, you know, was a, was a hobbyist bodybuilder um, about two months ago, but master's guy, technically, he was not a competitor. Uh, been using anabolic since he was 16, no blood work. And he's mm-hmm. late, late 40s, never got blood work ever. But then here's the here's the best bit. Went and got blood work, emailed it to me. Too. That was good. I was absolutely perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. I I can't. I'd be lying if I said I haven't seen some of those and you just, 
you you just kind of scratch your head a little bit there, right? Because <laughs> uh, I was on the console going, you know, it's not a guarantee that you've got an issue, but you know, you should expect these kind of inputs based on your history because it was like it was consistent two to four gram dosing with the odd two mm. to three weeks off. You know, I was thinking, you know, there's at least going to be some dude like HDL. It was low, but it was like 0.9. I was like, what? Yeah, it would be like 0.1. Yeah. <laughs> these are guys. These are guys that there's guys throwing those HDLs that are on 200 milligrams of testosterone. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You bastard. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. That's the perfect, that's your response. Consult, you bastard. Consultation over. Yeah. To be fair, I can't complain. I've, I've still never had blood, bad blood work in my life. Um, yeah. Anyway. But, but at the but the same token, you're probably you're kind of a low responder. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. And I'm also tiny, so, so. <laughs> <laughs> not anything to brag about. Um, okay, what we'll do? Let's do one. Got, we'll do yeah, one. we got four minutes before my next call. Okay, well, I've got to go out for dinner with Jazz's gram, so and um, so can't be late for that. Firstly, Will Bassnet writes in. He says just to say. As an OG listener slash super fan slash occasional, <laughs> I am mucho excited with a love heart. Shout out Porridge Games. You're the man. Um, there you go. Next question. I mean, this is probably quite easy to cover. Are Renaissance periodization style volume landmarks more useful for enhanced uh, individuals as recovery changes with dosage? Um, this is an easy one to cover. No, they're not more useful for enhanced guys. Um, th those volume landmarks are still what research suggests are the quote-unquote most optimal ranges to work within, although some recent research like the Enoset out study came out recently and whatnot might be trending more towards higher volumes, more so for specialization blocks potentially. But, you know, that 10 to 20 volume uh, sets per body part per week still rings true as, and you know you got to remember that these studies are done on natural athletes and the thing is when people say oh, you know enhanced guys should be training with more volume because they're bigger but the problem is that they are bigger and therefore a lot stronger so the fatigue per set the stimulus per set is higher and yes they of course have additional recovery inputs but only really to the tune of the additional stimulus that they're able to apply. So at least anecdotally, in my experience, the, the volume landmarks ring true across natural and enhanced individuals. Yeah, and if anything, if anything, anecdotally, we've we've maybe seen an inverse curve there with muscle mass and strength yes. leading to a lower recoverable volume because, and a lot of it's a lot of it's because of the more so fatigue, not so much you know, not so much muscular recovery because we have enough inputs for protein, you know, protein synthesis. It's just that it's pretty taxing to even just get yourself set up and, and move some of these weights, yes. right? How many warm up sets does it take when you're five times stronger than somebody else? You get moving the weights for some you know? reason, it's, it's fatiguing just to move. Yeah. Just like getting into a machine and move. <laughs> I mean, it's, in the door. it's a totally different ball game. 
Yeah, <laughs> totally yeah, different. Yeah. Never forget that video of Jake Cutler walking about two miles an hour on that treadmill and pouring with sweat. <laughs> yeah, you. Uh, yeah, for sure. You a lot more, a lot more expenditure there for the same amount of movement <laughs> through space. <laughs> That's funny. Cool, man. Cool. Well, yeah. We've got loads of additional questions. So since we're doing this more frequently, I've screenshotted these and we can cover these on the on the next one. Thank you, all you guys, for putting the questions in. If you got this far, please screenshot, put it on your story, let everybody know that OPD is back. We'll catch you guys in the next one. Peace out.